Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is with us. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Wisconsin. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning, everyone. So this week we are going to spend essentially all of our podcast talking about what happened in Milwaukee, the unrest uh, that uh, sparked up on Saturday last week. We are, after all, a political podcast. We're not going to spend a, a ton of time going over details and rehashing the incident because we believe it's now, uh, our listenership certainly has read significantly about this and has uh, a, a solid understanding of what went on. We want to after getting some initial comments from our two key panelists about the incident, uh, move into the political implications. And it's already, it hasn't taken long before the political aspect of this issue has really taken, uh, uh, taken on, jumped onto the stage. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. Um, we're also gonna talk about WEDEC and its potential role, speaking of political implications. And we're gonna end also by talking a little bit about Johnson Controls and their merger with Tyco that went through this week. So with that, um, I'm gonna open it up to the panelists. I think everybody knows that we are all Milwaukee residents here on the panel. And so, um, you know, obviously it's very close to us. Jorna, um, what, just wanna start with your overall, your initial thoughts now that we're five days removed. I feel, you know, a little <laughs> uncomfortable speaking for all that's going on because I certainly could never proclaim to understand all of it or that's not my life experience. Um, but, you know, we've been seeing this happening around the country because black people are getting killed. <laughs> they are getting shot. This is happening everywhere. And so this comes as no surprise that, you know, this is happening in Milwaukee as well. This is coming to such a boiling point last summer, this summer, this entire past, you know, year. And we have an opportunity as white folks sitting around this table to be engaged in this conversation and to not be silent. And so I'm, I'm glad that we're talking about this. It breaks my heart to see this happen to my city. Um, anybody who knows me knows that for all of its faults and all of its struggle, I love Milwaukee. I love living here, and I think this is a wonderful place. Um, but it does have a lot of things that are going on, and this has been happening for decades. Let's let's not pretend that redlining and economic depression and non-investment in our communities across the city hasn't impacted the lives of African American citizens across our city. So this is not surprising to me. It's hard to watch it happen. I was very um, disappointed from a lot of friends from out of state who were texting me saying, are you okay? Is everything okay? Yeah, I live in Bayview. <laughs> you know, right. I don't live near Sherman Park. And, and even if I did, I'd, I'd be okay. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm struggling with how to react to this. I, I really am. And I don't know what the right answer is, but um, something's got to change. Robert? Well, we've got to have a broader human response to this. So the immediate politicking on it is uh, unseemly. But we are at the stage into conversation. I think we were within, within a couple days of starting to talk about what's happening in this neighborhood and why people be so upset. Because obviously no one's condoning burning down businesses uh, civil civil unrest, 
but you have to explain why are people this upset why and why are young people responding this way because if a if a white young man with a gun was shot in a white neighborhood there would not have been this uprising so this is not about anything other than uh, people's life experiences and the feeling of exclusion the feeling you know that literally African Americans in Milwaukee came to the Great Migration for plentiful family supporting jobs, factory jobs. There's been massive deindustrialization by human planning, not some weather event, and there's nothing being done. And so, and then you have this, uh, you know, starting with the crime bill, not really starting, it started really in the 70s, but accelerating the crime bill, this quasi military response to these communities so that literally everyone, whether they are law-abiding citizens or not feels excluded, feels like they're uh, being watched, right? Uh, feels like many of the police um, don't share their experience and are just afraid of them and just there to, you know, keep them under control, so to speak. And so that's where the outrage, and Jordan's right, it's not just outrage. There are young black men mostly dying all over the country. And if you had that happening in white suburbs, uh, there'd be a national investigation. It would be stopped, and a situation where the criminal justice system is set up so DAs basically can't indict police officers or they'll lose cooperation of the police department. So not even any, so it's Jim Crow-like in terms of there being no recourse, right? Uh, whether, whether it's justified or not, and in many cases we know it clearly by any standard has not been. This was not one of those cases actually, but that's how high it doesn't appear. We haven't seen the full body cam camera uh, video. Uh, so... Here's the problem, because we're a political podcast, as Matt points out. The right in this country, the modern right, was built on white people's reaction to the disorder of the 60s and the 70s, the quote-unquote disorder. And that's, if you read uh, the book Nixon Land, this is very well uh, laid out, just for example. So they are already trying to exploit this, right-wing talk shows. Donald Trump comes and speaks to the incident from West Bend, claims that he's appealing to law-abiding African-Americans. So it's already started. Trump gave, in many ways, the most pure kind of, you're afraid, there's crime, there's terrorism, vote for the strongman speech imaginable at the Republican convention in his, in his, in his speech, except in the nomination. So this is what, it may not be enough to get Trump over the top, but this is what we're going to see for the next couple months. And Sherman Park will be an example of how we need, you know, to turn to a strong man. And we need, he said in his speech, even more police officers. So we just need to ratchet up the oppression, basically. Yeah, I want to start by just explaining a little bit about how I first found out about it, because it really plays into what Jorna talked about in terms of really the racial segregation that still exists in Milwaukee and how we have two wildly different experiences. And it played out for me on Saturday night. Um, everybody knows who listens to the podcast because of the weekend furlough that I go racing almost uh, every weekend with my kids. And so I found out Saturday night after the races, we were headed up to Shano to spend some time with my mom and my wife called me to tell me. And I just was immediately struck by our privilege that we were out of the city, safe, doing something that costs money, that is a privilege to do. And exactly what had happened without knowing the details, why it was happening, and having a deep understanding because of what's going on. So incredibly heartbreaking, but 
it plays into what Robert talked about, the experience and how this is going to be filtered through the lenses of people who either live in Milwaukee or people who don't, people who understand what's going on and people who don't and how it's going to be used by the right and how we're already seeing it with Trump. Jorna? Well, and just one last thing before we really get into the politics of this and the um, ongoing racism of the Trump campaign. I... My office is about nine blocks from Sherman Park. We're over on 50th and North. And, you know, so, of course, everybody, oh, is it really scary over there? Right. No. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a lovely neighborhood. And, no, I have no issues going to work. And so a bunch of us went to lunch on Tuesday. And um, one of my colleagues is an African-American woman who is a phenomenal writer. And she said, you know, I live on the south side. And I don't know how to write about this because I'm not there too and so she was it was really interesting to me and I really encouraged her to write about it because I I would love to hear her full perspective Um, but she said you know I don't live there so how do I I don't know how I feel talking about this either and so that was Mm -hmm. another sort of perspective that just really showed me how much everyone is struggling with the various levels across um, the city and across the country of of how how do we make change and, and what is our role in doing that. Well, and of course, this goes to the point that the specific incident, what happened that sparked this is, I don't want to say irrelevant because it's almost irrelevant because it's about the broader, it it has sparked and touched on these broader issues that we know are so deeply entrenched in Milwaukee and other communities like Milwaukee around the country. Um, So to try to ignore them and burrow into the specifics of what actually happened on Saturday afternoon is to miss the, the whole point and really what's going on. So I do want to move into to follow up on some of Robert's comments and really start to talk a little bit about the political implications, particularly Trump. And Trump's important because he's now the the head of the Republican Party, right? And really is defining <laughs> the racist. <laughs> hey, look, I mean, for better or worse, this is their choice, right? And and most of the Republican leadership, Reed Ribble exception, have all jumped on and basically are supporting. So for better or worse, he is. And, and, and Robert, you pointed out that he immediately went to West Bend to address African-Americans. West Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> obviously that's incredibly surreal and strange and almost onion-like. The Journal Sentinel title that talked about that was bizarre. But Robert, it gets to the point of how this is going to be used and how in some ways this is very dangerous, particularly in the uh, presidential race, because of this history of how this is used in safety and security is used as an issue by, by conservatives. Right. That, so there's that danger, and that's the playbook, the Nixon playbook, okay, that you take people's fears and anxieties and you capitalize on it, and essentially in order to get people to vote against their economic self-interest, okay? So that's one level of threat, and we'll see that. That'll be v- visible to people even more than it was in the 70s because it's coming from Trump, Uh who, is, who, who strips away all the codes, right, so to speak. But then there's also the danger, uh, politically, on our side, immediately within about, by Monday, by Monday afternoon, you had the Journal Sentinel writing stories about uh, the economic decline of the area, the deindustrialization, et cetera, uh, writing somewhat bizarre stories where they talk to experts, say community advocates, good friends of ours, about, and Mark Levine at UWM, about the economics of of what's going on, but then cited, you know, Milwaukee tackles jobs and cited underfunded church programs, which are laudatory that have have employed 10 people and shuttled them to places like Sheboygan. 
as if that's the response. And so what I'm waiting for from everything center left that isn't part of, you know, that isn't just going to exploit this, that isn't part of the right wing conspiracy is proposals actually up to the scale of what would need to be done to actually guarantee full economic opportunity in this country, which does not exist right now. And, and let's get to that right away, because, Robert, it gets to the crux of what Trump's arguments were made in West Bend. He offered, at least off the top of my head, two things broadly. One, security. I will come in and I will make your neighborhood safe, right? That's one. More police. <laughs> More police. But the second was jobs, right? And he openly talked about trade. He openly talked about the impact that trade has had on Milwaukee and on its community and other communities like it. Right. And he said, I will bring good jobs back to your neighborhood, good paying jobs back to your neighborhood. That, on the other hand, is a very uh, I'm right on. Right. Sort of an, his how he's going to do that is is obviously wrong, but certainly he's going and scratching a, a, a real itch there. And he confounds the normal categories because he's to the left on trade, the left of Hillary. And that's dangerous because people do think the economic system has been rigged. So what we have started pointing out, a little scandal that uh, broke on Wednesday, uh, we looked at WEDEC, Governor Walker's uh, discredited jobs agency, and it always claims on maps how much jobs it's creating. It actually claims to have created 458 roughly, uh, roughly within a couple, uh, maybe even staying the number slightly, in the 400s jobs in Sherman Park. You go to the map and go to where the pins are, and they're in a residential neighborhood, no sign of these facilities. And the facilities are in places like Heartland, actually. So they've actually produced none. Not that 458 would be enough uh, to actually do something with the deficit of jobs in Sherman Park, but actually they've created none, which brings us back to the question of there is no economic strategy at all. That's what's going on here. They created those jobs along with the transportation system that they created to take those people out to Heartland um, to, to have those jobs. Well, they killed that, too. <laughs> uh, you know, so we talk about the, the irresponsibility of a lot of folks right now in, in speaking. I mean, you can, I can barely stand to be on any of the uh, social media these days without it wanting to pull my hair out. And certainly, do not, do not lurk in the comments section of any media story that you read. It's a, it's a bad place. Um, but I do want to hold, you know, media accountable. I, I, I get that in, if they don't keep Trump as this, you know, crazy fascist, um, if they don't make this race interesting, they don't sell papers and they have no jobs. But there's a lot of irresponsibility going on as well. Um, you know, the media saying that Trump spoke to Milwaukee from West Bend. He was in Milwaukee for a Fox Town Hall with Sean Hannity. That was not a campaign event that they were like, oh, hey, let's go to Milwaukee and do something real this was a fox news paps theater town hall so and then he went 40 miles away which the last time i checked isn't even in milwaukee county and i know this because my horses live two miles from where he spoke <laughs> so i'm real familiar and with the quite area frankly, it, not that everyone there is racist it's a white flight area it is uh, so and if he's going to appeal to african americans might he appeal to them when with in places where they actually live with an audience that actually has substantial African Americans in it. So let's see if he ever actually has the audacity to do that. 
he does not probably. How, how about the New York Times article that quoted a bunch of uh, the folks that attended his rally and the one very eloquent gentleman who stated that he hopes no more blacks move to West Bend. You know, and there's there's so much coded and uncoded. I mean, folks are are not using the whistle, dog whistle anymore, Robert. They're well. feeling a freedom from Trump to just say really blatantly racist, um, horrible things one, with no ramifications. One of Citizen Action's employees, someone who's doing election work for us, who's African-American, on the streets of Walker's Point in Milwaukee, on Tuesday, someone yelled out the car window at him, go back to Sherman Park. So, yeah, <laughs> no. He's, he's a veteran. No, yeah, really. I mean, it just so so, of course, it just shows how these kind of events can spark really negative reactions, right? And so Trump is particularly dangerous at this point, right? Because let's talk about, I mean, if we, as we transition a little bit into a, a, a little bit more political conversation, it hasn't been going well for Trump lately. Uh, well, I thought it was. Well, hold on. Let's, uh, it's very unclear. Huh. But Trump's campaign this week announced a shakeup. Well, they tried to not announce it, but apparently has had another shakeup within its campaign. We've got people leaving and, um, well, maybe not. Brian, can you play this clip of a uh, Trump campaign spokesperson on CNN this week uh, in response to the shakeup? And um, it's just more where facts apparently just don't matter. You say it's not a shakeup, but you guys are down. And it makes Says sense who? that there would... Says polls. who? Most of them. All of them? Says who? Polls. I just told you. I answered your question. Okay. Which polls? All of them. Okay. And your okay. question is? So this is any uh, indication of where we're sort of at in the level so, of analysis? So, Matt, what's your question? <laughs> I don't think I have one after watching that clip. I, I think this is a... I think this was a great response. I mean, this was the perfect only answer the questions that you want to answer media response, Matt. And she didn't have a question that, you know, he wanted to answer. So what's the problem? Well, which, which polls? Luckily, the military's not with him, so he can't declare martial law and then pound all the ballot boxes. It reminds me of when I was in college, people may remember Lyndon LaRouche, who is this crazy, nutty right-wing guy who... Uh, created all sorts of organizations. He went to federal jail, I think, for tax evasion, but he was running for president. And I remember at University of Pittsburgh as an undergrad, they would send sound trucks through the center of the urban campus, and they would say, the polls are lying, LaRouche is winning. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> they didn't have hashtags back then. No. Did they, Robert? So facts matter. Um, you, you did... We have touched on something, though, that I think is really interesting that is starting to surface on the left and the right. And it's always there. But, you know, you all at Citizen Action and, and certainly myself are very interested in integrity at the ballot box. And both sides have started to really, really ramp up their rigged elections. Um and that neither side will legitimately win this election. And that's a really scary and horrible um, 
sentiment to start putting into this election that no matter who comes out, they are an illegitimate candidate. You know, the right is saying that crooked Hillary, you know, there's no way she would have been the nominee and there's no way she can win. And of course, now the left has come out with Scott Walker has rigged the last five elections to win. I mean, ah. actually, oh, I did that come from the Trump's, Trump camp saying that Walker well, was let a me former be, Trump advisor? Let me be very clear, though. The left is pushing sure. some crazies on the left. I'm I want to be clear. I'm familiar crazies. with the arguments I around mi- the Walker I mi- rigged I elections. That. Thank you. Jordan's educating <laughs> me. I managed to miss that. Uh, yeah, he, and here's the thing, right? There's been this whole slide in respect for government since it's high watermark during Camelot, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, in fact, well, of course, later investigations did take this, a little bit of the sheen off of Camelot. But the point is that disregard for government, uh, belief that it's some separate alien force, undermines everything progressives want to do. We need a democratic government that is legitimate and actually represents the people. And so in a bizarre sort of way, this actually makes it much harder and actually advances right-wing ideology. I mean, if any election that doesn't go your way is rigged, you can see it in sports, right? You know, in sports, the Bucks never lose. They just have games stolen from them, right, by referees. (laughs) So speaking of rigged, before we go... I need to get both of your comments on the rigged economy. We have talked in the past, obviously, a lot about WEDEC, um, but in particular, we talked, we've talked about Johnson Controls. Johnson Controls, for our listeners to remember, um, has received millions of dollars in WEDEC ta- tax subsidies for job creation, has been outsourcing jobs, and in some cases, we think may not even be meeting some of what they said they were going to do in job creation. But the big thing with them is they had a merger with Tyco that brought up the corporate inversion we talked about on the podcast, which enabled them to essentially escape about $150 million a year in U.S. taxes. Well, it was approved this week. The shareholders approved the merger. But it is worth noting that even the shareholders um, were super upset and voted against golden parachutes that were set up for the CEO and other executives of um, Johnson Controls if they were to be fired immediately after or shortly after the merger if they were to lose their jobs. We're talking about millions, 20 million plus dollars. Uh, This was apparently even too lavish for the shareholders who are, of course, more than excited to approve the merger, which I'm sure will benefit them. Um, But uh, it just goes to show how rotten all of this rigged economy is. Uh, Robert Jorna, any thoughts? How do I get in on this kind of gig? <laughs> I mean, how, how horrible <laughs> is this? They set themselves up. They make this merger. People make a metric boatload of money <laughs> yes. off of this. And then they set it up so that they get these golden parachutes and they get, air quotes, fired. Yeah. And yeah. then they get another billion dollar paying job at some other company that they can then do the same thing. No, nope. Yeah, yeah. Well, this look. This is a fundamental issue in the economy, uh, in the election, uh, and will be going forward beyond this election, right? In terms of trying to change the way we do business, Robert. Well, since the right likes to talk about social mores and talk about decaying, you know, order in the family, when it wants to talk about things like Sherman Park, right, which the right wing talk shows are on about, let's talk about the decaying moral moral sense and values of of our nation CEOs who felt perfectly okay making only 25 times more than their workers in the 1970s, but now 
you know, all bets are off. In fact, they asked the CEO of Nabisco from the 70s why he didn't pay himself more. And he said he, felt he, he would have felt embarrassed about doing so, that he was already making plenty enough compared to his, own, his workers. By my math, the golden parachutes actually add up to all the 150 million. So essentially, that we're paying for it yep. in that respect, right? And so unless you have, here's the thing, strong democratic government that prevents this sort of thing and, and, and governs the economy and the public interest, creates rules of the road, is a watchdog, doesn't run the economy, it's not a magic economy, but creates clear rules, right? Including, I think, that it's time to punish companies that have a too large a gap between their CEOs and their average workers' pay, and in fact make them pay a lot of taxes. So if they want to have a lot of tax breaks, then they, they should actually have to pay their workers relative to management. But I see that Mr. Alex uh, Molinari, is he, that how you pronounce it, the CEO, um, if, and I guess he's this good, right? If you believe in meritocracy, he's, awesome, he's just this he's good. He's one of the world's greatest. He was going to get a $20 million payout, but now they would give him a $74.2 million payout, so half the whole $150 million in money they're stealing from taxpayers. And there are others who are getting that as well. Uh, by the way, it was advisory, so I think they could still go through with oh, it. Oh, yeah. No, it sounds to me like it's likely to go through. Uh, the flax for Johnson Controls were immediately talking about how a lot of this was already embedded into their contracts and stuff. So once the shareholders figured out, whoa, we're not going to get all that money. <laughs> They're just going to cream it at the top. Oh, they finally got around to clipping the wings of their CEOs. But maybe not. We'll see. But it was at least a good statement uh, that, that they uh, pushed back on the CEO pay. But. And it, it was repeated several times in the coverage that the, the company is headquartered in Cork, Ireland, but run from Milwaukee. And then they talk about very serious. This is here. We continue to be headquartered in Cork, Ireland, and run from Milwaukee. Okay. There you go. God bless America. So with that... You know, Matt is going to be reestablishing the House of Brusky at a P.O. box in Cork, Ireland, and yes. not paying any more taxes. Is well, that, that right? sounds good, Robert. Um, anyways, that was a horrible accent. Jorna? That was... I don't even know what that was. It was, that was awful. offensive to our, our Irish it's listeners. It's why I never do it and shall never do it again, I promise. Listen, Jorna, West. Robert, before we get to the... Uh, the weekend furloughs, there was some interesting news this week from Aetna, of all places. Aetna, we've talked about them. They are attempting to do a super merger, along with, uh, there's with another Humana. Humana. We have uh, two super mergers going on. But there was interesting news this week about Aetna essentially threatening the federal government around uh, the merger. Could you tell our listeners more about that? So all the headlines, and of course the right and Trump are all over this, is, is that Aetna, one of the largest insurance companies in the country, is pulling out of Obamacare, out of the, out of the marketplace or exchanges in most states. They're staying in a few where I guess they're highly profitable. And so obviously this is a problem. This is why we need to actually start doing, like as is in the Democratic platform, a robust public option. Because let's face it, President Obama tried to include private insurance and tried to say we we're, were not going to go to, to fully public, we're going to have public competition through a public option. And they've repaid him by holding, holding health care reform uh, for hostage, basically, and doing what they used to do rather than denying coverage to individuals based on preconditions. Now it's denying whole states and counties access to health care because they decide it wasn't profitable enough. But the coup de gras on this is, is that the Department of Justice is currently uh, sued to block both the merger of Anthem and Cigna and the one with Aetna and Humana, four of the biggest, five biggest insurance companies in the country. Turns out the CEO of Aetna um, actually threatened 
the federal government and said uh, they might well pull out of the uh, the exchanges if the merger was not approved. So apparently, and by the way, they had huge golden parachutes in the $20, $30 million range for all the CEOs, Netna and Humana as well. So literally, they're holding people's access to healthcare hostage. And I think there's a simple answer to that. Not that we should go back to that is discrimination, which seems to be Trump's answer. It should be, we need a very robust public option where they won't provide good insurance that get, that to everyone who can't get it at work, we should. Um, these are like, you know, schoolyard bullies and are just bad people. I have nothing other than like, you're bad people and you deserve bad things to happen to you. So... I said that I would not do an Irish accent again. I lied. Etna, I'm glad I met you. Maybe they should move to Ireland, huh? Get a tax break with this merger. Don't worry, the pharmaceutical industry <laughs> is the front runner on that in healthcare. God, Bri- I, Brian, right. can I am you now edit this? officially retired from terrible Irish impersonations. Uh, and with that, you know, we work with Connor Williams, <laughs> yes. the economist at Connor Katie Advocates. Hopefully, Connor's very not unhappy this with week, me right yeah. now. That was a horrendous. <laughs> and by the way, it is Irish Fest this weekend oh. here in Milwaukee. Nice segue to the weekend furlough. Jonah, will you be? <laughs> you promise not to do that. I'm done. I can't even. I'm do supposedly it. even Irish, although I'm pretty sure that <laughs> Taylor is not Irish. Um, (laughs) what am I doing this weekend? Uh, so I actually get to spend my weekend living with my horses. Um, I am babysitting the new farm that, uh, my friend just bought where my horses live. And so I will actually be spending my weekend in West Bend, Wisconsin, uh, at the horse farm. West Bend, the new Milwaukee. Robert, what are you doing this weekend? (laughs) I'll feel like I'm at home. That's a new t-shirt for you. (laughs) Trump, West Bend, the new Milwaukee. Robert, what's Uh, going on this weekend? Well, my mother is still uh, in, in, in the hospital rehab center recovering from hip replacement surgery, and so I'm going to go down and see her in the Chicago area. Well, we hope the best for her. We always remind our listeners she is a, one of our top listeners, so we, we hope she is on the mend. Robert, glad you're able to go down and spend some time with your mother. Um, busy race weekend for me. We've got racing Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so... You yes. will not be doing an Irish accent. I will not be. I will not be attending Irish Fest. Although, let me just say, if you have not been to Irish Fest, it is a really good time. Milwaukee has, as many people know, a lot of good ethnic festivals, but Irish Fest is right near the tops in terms of uh, good times and big and so crowds, a lot what, of fun. What is the composition of Trump voters uh, among the people engaged in this this bike racing you do? What, well, what's your guesstimate, you know, polling us guesstimate? You know, it's interesting. I'm assuming Trump is probably uh, uh, leading down the back stretch, but, you know, it's a main event and we got a lot of laps. I'm actually doing a lot of work on some of my friends at the track. I just remind them that they have uh, they have wives and uh, women, and how could you entrust the country to this man? It's usually a good starting point. Now, with that, uh, really want to thank Brian Wildridge, our producer who makes the podcast happen every week, and uh, we thank him for that. So we will see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>